0: This is a CNA podcast.
1: So Adam, in a few words, can you give us your thoughts about the following? Okay. Investing through CPF.
0: Make sure you know what you're doing.
1: Retirement age in Singapore.
0: Uh, I think uh, it's fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there eventually. (laughs) One thing you'd change about CPF if you could?
0: Wow, higher interest rate, but you know. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) But again, that. that would come with implications as well.
1: How about topping up your CPF?
0: Yeah, definitely. If you can do it, why not?
1: How about the FIRE movement? Financial independence, retire early.
0: Make sure you got your plans right.
1: The Central Provident Fund, or CPF, has been a huge part of our lives, especially during major life decisions like buying a house, paying for medical bills, and securing funds for retirement. But CPF can be a complex beast, loved by some and hated by others. While there may be no escape to pay deductions, experts say we can make the most of the scheme. In this episode, we work through the maths and unravel the myths surrounding CPF with the help of our guest Adam Wong. Adam is the editor-in-chief of The Fifth Person, a financial, literacy, and investment website. So Adam, let's just get straight to it. Sure. CPF is a fact of life here in Singapore, and some are for it, some are against it. But how should we approach CPF? I think
0: CPF is here to stay. I mean, whether you like it or not, I think a lot of controversy surrounding CPF, you get the most headlines out of that. But I think the majority of people in Singapore, I think they work with the CPF as in it's a system that it's here to stay. It's been around for a long time. And whether you have your complaints about it or not, it's something that you have to work with. And I think there are benefits to the CPF that you can definitely make use of and use it as part of your financial planning.
1: Yeah. What are the benefits? And let's start with that.
0: I think the most obvious one is that its interest rate is pretty good. I mean, if you go to the bank right now, fixed deposits in Singapore have been, the rates have not been great for the longest time. It's always been less than a percent. Maybe it's coming up a little bit because interest rates are going up. But for the longest time, putting money in the bank wouldn't get you anywhere. It's just to put money in the bank. And for the CPF to come in and basically offer you 4% in the special account, practically risk-free, I think that's a great option for people out there. Even if you go into the stock market, the bond market, it's not easy to find a risk-free instrument that's backed by the Singapore government for 4% interest per annum. I think that's the main thing that we have as Singaporeans that we should make use of.
1: You mentioned that it is risk-free. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to us like, how it can be considered as risk-free? Because for many of us, we won't be touching this money until like, when we're in our 60s. That's decades away.
0: Right. So when I say risk-free, it comes from an investment perspective. So if you go invest money in the stock market, even with bonds or property, there's risk involved. right? Prices can come up, they can mm-hmm. come down. You might lose money in your investment. So technically you shouldn't lose money in your CPF. The risk you have is that you have to trust that the government will continue to run things as well as they have done for the last many decades, right? And the policy doesn't change. So there's policy risk in that sense. But when it comes to investment risk, it's technically risk-free. You don't risk losing your money in the CPF. Yes, there are restrictions in the CPF system. You can't withdraw everything at 55, but the money is still yours and it goes back to you through the form of monthly payments when you retire. So it's risk-free in that sense.
1: Mm -hmm. I guess trust, as you said, is important. And you can also look at history, I guess, and see how it has been quite consistent. But these deductions, of course, we can't opt out of them, right? It is required. And at the same time, we don't actively manage our CPF money because someone else does it for us. But sometimes that also means that we don't really Check it. We don't read about it. We don't care about the details because it's someone else's problem. And we'll think about it when, say, we're older. So some might think that, you know, I'll put money in it, I'll get it, I'll check it when I'm older. So, how do you think people can maximize CPF even if they're decades away from getting their hands on that money?
0: I think that's the best time to maximize the use of CPF when you're much younger and you're such a long runway to grow. I mean, if you're near 55, and you don't have a lot of time to grow your money if you haven't been putting money in the CPF over the last you know, many decades. So if you're young and you want to contribute to the CPF, I think it's an option. I would treat it like a bond, actually. Mm. It's because bonds out there, they pay you a fixed interest rate. It's technically safe in that sense. But bonds have their own risk as well. You have to understand the company's financial position and there are bonds that have defaulted as well. So this is arguably a safer instrument that pays you a 4% interest rate. And you can treat it as part of your bond portfolio. I know of many Singaporeans who just decide not to invest in bonds and just invest in the CPF as their bond portfolio. If you're young, that's the best time to maximize it because you have a lot of time to grow and compound the money that you have. And yes, of course, a part of it has to stay inside when you turn 55. But then I think that is crucial anyway, because we've heard so many horror stories of Singaporeans who once they turn 55, they withdraw a big sum from the CPF Mm -hmm. and it just goes away in a few years. So I think the government is doing the best to protect as many people as they can by providing some level of income all the way to the end of your life to make sure that you're taken care of.
1: Yeah, I guess one side of it too is some people feel like they are not being trusted with their own funds Because this restriction is enforced upon them when it comes to saving for their retirement.
0: I totally hear that. I mean, my mom used to complain about the CPF. So I grew up thinking that the CPF was a restriction that the government put on people. And and there are restrictions, of course, in any system. Mm. So I used to think for the longest time that the CPF was just keeping our money from us when I grew up, I realized that I can't change the system. It's here to stay. And actually, if you're self-employed, you don't have to contribute CPF. Mm-hmm. It's not forced in that sense. You do it if you're an employee with a salary and all that. Mm-hmm. You do still have to pay your Medi safe. So back to my anecdote. I remember when I was uh, you know, at some self-employed income and I just you know, had this mindset that I just didn't want to put any money in the CPF. I want full control of my money, which is a good thing, too. And then I realized that I ended up paying a lot in taxes because Mm. I didn't put in the CPF there. And the CPF helps you to reduce your taxable income as well. So between the choice of paying taxes or putting money in my CPF account, which grows interest, I would put money in the CPF now that I know better when I was much younger as well. So Mm. yes, there are restrictions, but I will make the most use of it. And Mm. I think there are benefits in the CPF system.
1: You mentioned taxes. Can you explain to us how CPF can help you in the tax front?
0: So basically, when you make income, there's income tax, right? Mm -hmm. You pay that every year to the IRS. The more you make, the more you pay in taxes, But then, when it comes to calculating your taxable income, they also take into account the CPF contributions that you've made throughout the year. So based on the CPF contributions that you've made, they deduct that portion from your taxable income. And then what's left that's taxable becomes lower, so your taxes reduce as a result. So, I mean, it depends on how much you make as an individual, because there's a limit to how much you can reduce your taxes by but it definitely helps. You can basically go to the CPF website and they tell you, oh, the IRS website as well. Every single year, when you make your submissions, they will tell you exactly what your taxable income is. So the first thing that they do is that what is your income that you made? That's the headline figure. And then you have your deductions, right? So maybe you have your tax relief because you're an NS man, because you're a parent or because you're a caregiver. So if all you make donations to charities and all that stuff. So these are deductions that go into reducing your taxable income anyway. And CPF, as part of that deduction as well. So it reduces your taxable income. So what's left over is the amount that can be taxed. So based on that amount, then the RAS will calculate what your tax is based on that new taxable amount. So the CPF helps to reduce that uh, when you contribute uh, CPF amounts.
1: Is that for everyone or just if you top up?
0: It's for everyone. So even your regular monthly CPF contributions go to that. And of course, if you do the cash top-up as well, up to $8,000 every year, there's a tax relief on that as well. Mm. And for most people, it just makes sense to put money in your CPF rather than pay taxes, right?
1: Mm. You mentioned your mom earlier. Has she had a change of heart?
0: she did take her money out her complaint was that at that point mm-hmm. that time they called it the minimum mm-hmm. sum it was eighty thousand dollars today it's about one hundred and ninety two thousand dollars as of yeah. this year i think so it's called the frs now full retirement sum so my mom's gripe was that that eighty thousand dollars was something that she could never touch mm-hmm. that was a complaint everything else she had above that she took out and she had no complaints about that yeah. so she was complaining about that eighty thousand dollars but I look at my mom today and she has this stream of income from the CPF every single month that supplements her income and has been really useful for her in her retirement. I don't know if she agrees with it nowadays, but mm-hmm. the way I look at it and the way she's managing her finances, the CPF income for her has been very, very useful.
1: And that's an issue too, the raising of the minimum sum that you mentioned, because some people look at it and go, oh no, now I have to put even more money in, yeah. in the CPF. And it could be quite worrying for some yeah. because there are tweaks that are made along the way.
0: Yes, that's true. So yes, this raising of that minimum sum of the full retirement sum is another common complaint. I mean, I totally understand that. It feels like if it's something that feels very far away yeah. and every few years or so they raise it, then you're going to feel the goalposts keep shifting. Yeah, And they have explained this before that, It has to keep up with inflation and the costs of living expenses. So just take my mother's example. If they never raised it and your retirement sum today is $80,000 and that's all you need to put aside in your CPF. Let's say for me, I'm like probably like 15, 20 years away from my retirement. How much is $80,000 going to be worth in that time? So it doesn't make sense because then if you're going to return that amount, it's not going to be enough. So the government has to increasingly steadily shift up the FRS to keep in line with inflation. It's just a fact of um, money and investments in general.
1: So do you think we should solely rely on CPF? Is it enough to focus on putting our money in CPF and not looking in other investment schemes, investment products?
0: My answer would be no. I think CPF alone is not enough i mean i think there are people who just rely on cpf alone there's been a famous example of this gentleman that run this 1m65 movement where he advocates having 1 million in your cpf mm-hmm. and then from then on, once you've taken care of that base, you can kind of relax and then focus on your other investments because he knows that whatever happens to him, he always has that CPF amount to rely on. He's never going to get busted out. All mm-hmm. right. He always has that CPF to take care of him. That's his philosophy. And it makes sense. Some people feel that CPF is not good enough. 4% is not good enough. I can make more money in the stock market, mm-hmm. 5, 6, 7, 10%. And that's entirely possible as well. So I share that approach. I think. The CPF forms one pillar of your financial portfolio. There's so many other options you can consider out there. There's property, there's stocks, there's dividend stocks, and there's stuff like that, REITs as well. And they all form a basket of investments that you can consider and how much you want in CPF, how much you want in your stocks depends on your risk profile, your financial goals, your investment goals. So the CPF is just one tool that you can use. It's like a lever of how much you want to put in CPF. And the rest of it is really up to you. So it's not a black or white thing. It's like zero CPF or all-in CPF. It's just one thing you can use. Hi,
1: my name is Steve Lai. And I'm Teresa Tang. And we are the hosts of the new podcast, CNA Correspondent. From New York to Bangkok, join us as we kick back and chat with our colleagues across the globe about the latest news developments.
0: Look out for our weekly episodes wherever you get your podcasts.
1: about those who are in the gig economy, who are freelancers, where they don't have employee contributions, they're not required to keep a part of their income in CPF. Do you recommend or suggest that they put money into CPF or should they go to equities or other investment streams?
0: Yeah, this really depends on the individual. So, I don't think I can make recommendations for anyone because it really depends on what their goals are, how financially literate they are. Because investing in the stock market, yes, you can earn potentially higher returns, but you have risks. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can end up losing money. Wherever you are, whether you're self employed or unemployed, all these things have to be balanced out, taken into account, what makes most sense for you. So, if you're self employed and you feel that you understand, what investing in the stock market or the crypto market is like, and you take care of your risks, then yeah, sure, go ahead. And then you still can consider contributing to your CPF because that helps with your taxes as well. Mm -hmm. If you don't want that, I would treat it as a potential bond, Mm -hmm. as an option that you can use if you want to. I'm just totally agnostic about these things and just make use of what makes most sense for you.
1: What about those who are nearing their retirement age? Because it's one thing when you're decades away and you still have time to recover from any financial losses. But those who are a few years away from retirement and maybe they haven't really put a whole lot of attention into trying to see if they have enough money once they hit retirement. What do you think they should do at this point to make sure that they are on the right track?
0: When you're near retirement and then if you don't have enough money, I think The reality is you just have to continue working. Ouch. Yeah, that's true, right? But if you've (laughs) saved up enough, or maybe if you're lucky enough, one of your children is so rich that they can take care of you, you know, that could (laughs) happen. And hopefully you had a good relationship with that kid. (laughs) In any case, if you're older, then your margin for error is going to be a lot smaller. You can't take risks. Mm. Because if one thing wipes you out at 55, 60, it's going to be really tough. You don't have the energy or the opportunities as someone who's 30 years younger. It's different. Mm -hmm. So you got to be really careful with that. And it doesn't just apply to CPF. It applies to every investment that you have out there. You can't be taking unnecessary risks. So you want to invest in things that are very stable, predictable, that suit your risk profile. Maybe something that pays you a very stable dividend. Doesn't give you a very high return, but it gives you certainty. So, CPF is something like that. In fact, I actually have a friend's father who actually put more Mm -hmm. money in the CPF. So when he retired, he decided to put more money because he just didn't want to take the risk of Mm -hmm. that sum of money that he had to put it in the stock market or something. He's not familiar with that. But the CPF is something that he understands. Mm -hmm. It's basically 4%, 5%, up to 5%, 6% as well. You know, for some of the balances in your CPF account, especially once you cross 55 as well. So he decided to just put more money there because it's something that he understands and he trusts and is risk-free, like I said. And he he gets an increased payment out of it every single month. So rather than risking his Mm -hmm. money somewhere where he doesn't understand, he decided to just put more money in the CPF.
1: That's an interesting point there, Adam. But what do you think are the things that are misunderstood when it comes to CPF?
0: I think what people think about when it comes to being misunderstood about the system is that when you have something that's mandatory, people are going to complain about it. What comes most first is that people understand about financial literacy, about money in general. Because I think if you don't understand how investments work, how financial planning works, and all you care about is I want my money back, then yes, I think you're going to complain about things because it's what you see and what you understand. But once you become more financial literate and you understand the risk of the markets out there, how can you actually make money? And then you start to realize that actually 4% from the CPF is just another option to you. Then you can take that into account and go, yeah, all right, I think this is pretty reasonable. You can't find that anywhere in the world. And it's something that's available to Singaporeans. Yeah, then Mm -hmm. from that perspective, because you have a lot more information about financial planning and stuff like that, then you would have a different perspective when it comes to CPF as an instrument.
1: It sounds like what you're saying is even if we have CPF and there is that option for us that, as you mentioned earlier, pretty risk-free, we still have to study how investments work and we still have to be financially literate despite having kind of something to fall back on.
0: I think that's always useful. I think because money is a part of our life. Money isn't everything, but it really is a part of our life. And it's one of the life skills that it's important to pick up. You don't have to be like the best investor in the world or someone who makes billions of dollars in that sense. Mm -hmm. But knowing basic things like budgeting, how do I spend my money, where do I park my money? If I have $10,000 today, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. Those are things that everyone through their adult life will go through. And they need to know what to do with it. Because if you don't, then you could really put your money in places that they shouldn't be put into. Mm -hmm. And you have scams, Mm -hmm. very dubious investment schemes, Mm -hmm. and you hear all these stories of people losing money every day. Mm -hmm. And you don't want that to happen to you. So this is stuff that everyone should learn.
1: Do you think we are maximizing this option for us, the CPF and all the different types of accounts that it comes with?
0: I think that really depends on the individual. So people like Mr. Lu, like of the One M sixty five movement, he does his best to maximize mm-hmm. his use of the CPF. Some people don't; they feel that it's just not a consideration for them. Maybe because they've made so much money elsewhere, and they have parked their money in property or something like that. It really depends on the individual as well. Mm-hmm.
1: What about those who feel like it's too late for them to care about? their retirement funds and investing, what do you think they should do now?
0: I don't think it's too late. I mean, even if you're 60, the life expectancy in Singapore <laughs> is about 82. Yeah. 20 more years to go. It's a long time. Wherever you are now, you still have to make the best use of the time you have with the resources you have. And you want to make the best decisions for you in the amount of time that you have left. Mm-hmm. So even if you're not in the best position right now, it still makes sense to make the right decisions moving forward. So five years from now, you're better off than where you are today. Ten years from now, you're even better off mm-hmm. than where you are today. So this is Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The next best time is today.
1: You know, there are different accounts for CPF. Yeah. How do you think young people should use those different accounts and maximize them
0: so there are three accounts so the ordinary account special account MediSafe so MediSafe let's put that aside it's for your medical expenses so when anything that happens to you you can use part of that The two main accounts that most people look at will be their ordinary account and special account. So the special account is meant for your retirement. So this account earns 4% up to 5% interest. So if you have nothing else to do, the best place, of course, is to put it in a special account at 4% interest until the highest interest. But of course, you have other considerations to think about. So your ordinary account, that money put there can be used for your housing. So housing is going to be a key purchase consideration for almost everyone in Singapore. So if you're going to plan about buying a home sometime soon and you plan to use your cpf ordinary account money there to fund part of that then of course you need to plan your finances in a way that your cpf can take care of that portion but if you've already bought your home you don't plan on moving anytime soon you've got like your finances planned out and you feel that yes i can put more money into the cpf special account then obviously you want to put it there because you're on a higher interest rate of course as always the restriction is you can only Take out your money at 55, and of course, there's the FRS at that point in time, whatever the prevailing rate is, that's what has to be kept inside for your annuity till the end of your life.
1: Do you think it's wise to use your CPF monies to invest in stocks, in ETFs and all that? Because that is an option too, right?
0: It is an option. And like with any investment, it's good to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you go to like the SGX website, there's a list of CPF approved stocks. So that means these are stocks or ETFs that you can use your CPF monies to go buy. But CPF approved doesn't mean it's a good stock to buy. Mm -hmm. It's just approved for CPF use. Mm -hmm. So you still have to understand what you're buying, what you're investing in. If you make the wrong decisions or you're just trying to get lucky, Mm -hmm. you're not going to make money. And if you don't know what you're doing, just put it in the CPF, leave it there. Mm -hmm. You know you're going to make that guarantee 2.5% or 4%. But if you do know what you're doing mm-hmm. and you understand your investments and you feel that you could earn a higher return with a little bit more risk, I wouldn't take excessive risk with my CPF money because this is for my retirement, mm-hmm. but with a little bit more risk and I invest in something that's very stable in the market that's available out there, yeah, I would consider doing that as well.
1: Now, if you have extra money, Adam, do you think you should park it in the CPF, transfer to your SRS or Medisave?
0: Extra money, again, it Mm. really depends on what your goals are. So it doesn't mean by default, oh, I'm going to put in my Mm CPF. If you know what to do with that money, please go ahead and do something that you think it makes most sense for you. If not, yeah, if it's my investment goal, financial goal to Mm -hmm. have a 4% instrument that earns me Mm -hmm. that interest, then yeah, you consider CPF as an option for yourself. MediSave, it's a supplement. You should have insurance as well to take care of certain things as beyond MediSafe. But yes, you should have some in Medisave as well.
1: So it really depends on your investment it, it really goals depends and your on who you are, risk profile, yeah. right? That's true, yes. Before I let you go, there are different opinions about CPF, but how would you compare CPF to other pension systems in different parts of the world?
0: I wouldn't say I'm qualified to compare because I understand CPF more than other pension systems. But what I can share, for example, like the 401k in the US is linked to the stock market. Mm. So if the stock market isn't doing well, and the year you're retiring, everything comes to a crash, that's gonna be really, really painful and something you don't wanna see happening as well. So I wouldn't know about any other pension systems in the world, but for Singapore, I think it's something that we can make use of and why not make the most use out of it?
1: Yeah. That's a good point about how CPF is here to stay and we should include it in our financial planning. And we should also maximize its benefits. Thanks so much for your insights, Adam.
0: No, thank you for having me.
1: Thanks to my guest, Adam, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Do remember to like this podcast so you know when a new episode drops. You can find CNA's business and financial coverage online at cna.asia. The team behind this podcast is Audrey Wan, Daniel Lee, Jacqueline Chan, and Crispina Robert. I'm Sarah Alcaldea.